This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. Following a turbulent week, the Reds return to home comforts ahead of the visit of Sheffield United. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along as we get set to preview the weekend's action. Chris Wilder's blunted blades make the trip to Merseyside with a certain Rian Brewster looking to cut through on his return to Anfield. Could Jurgen Klopp have Joel Matip to call upon as the Reds continue to strive for their answer to their Van Dyke void? And as Liverpool look to put on a box office showing at Anfield, it's pay-per-view as opposed to bums on seats for Reds fans. Alongside me for this Friday edition of Blood Red, pleasure to have our chief LFC writer, Ian Doyle. Doyle, how are we? How okay yourself? Not so bad. And also with uh, Tall Paul Gorse not with us, our pocket rocket, Dan Kay. Dan, how are you? I'm not quite as tall as Paul, but I'm all right. Yes, thank you. Are you as tall as Paul if two of <laughs> not, you not stand on... I was going to say, if, if two of you were to stand on top of your shoulders, do you reckon you'd be there then? Maybe there or thereabouts, but I've got a bit of spring as anyone who's seen me play five aside, so I'd still fancy my chances of beating Gorsley in the air, but... Yeah, he, he's yeah. a bit lumbering when it comes to the aerial yeah, threat. I was going to say, he's one of them tall players, isn't he? He falls into that category. Not actually much use in the air, but uh, anyway... All on the ground. So. Yeah, any, yeah, you're... You say that when he's not here. Anyway, let's get into to things then and kick things off. Doyle, come to you first. And sort of just thought I'd start with your reactions to the week that Liverpool have had. It's been, uh, it has been some week, obviously, all of the, the Van Dyke fallout. We're not going to spend too much time sort of dwelling on that. Klopp's rather spiky press conference ahead of Ajax. And then, of course, the win in midweek as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with the win. thought it was a very good win. thought considering everything that had gone on in the week, that, as you just mentioned, with Van Dijk, not just that, but, you know, Matip wasn't fit, was he? Thiago wasn't there. There was a bit of a distraction with some of the stuff that happened after the derby, you know, this, that and the other. So, and, it, and of course, it was a hard game anyway. Even if, if Liverpool would have had everybody fit, then it would have still been... Not, I don't think it was the hardest game they're going to get in the group. That'll be in, in Atalanta in a couple of weeks' time, but... To get that win and to get that clean sheet, I mean, Klopp himself said, look, it was all about the win. It's always, you learn more when you have these kind of scrappy, dirty wins, I think he actually called it. Um, I think, you know, Liverpool, they couldn't argue too much. I mean, the other way of looking at it is that they got beat 7-2 by Aston Villa, what was it, earlier this month. And in the two games that they've just played since then, they've only been one really dodgy VAR decision away from winning at Everton, the leaders, and winning at Ajax. So... That's not too bad when you consider, as we say, some of the other stuff that's happened. Just uh, on Van Dijk, yeah, it looks like he's, well, we knew he was going to be out for a while, but I think since we last did a podcast, he's he's gone and seen the specialist and, you know, he's not had his operation yet, but from everything that Jürgen Klopp's saying, he said it today, he said, we don't want to know how long he's out for. It's almost as if he's saying, yeah, well, we know it's going to be ages and we just don't want to hear that it's going to be ages. So, yeah, I think it, they're just going to be planning now for the probably the rest of the season without him. And uh, in that sense, getting a clean sheet at Ajax was a good start. Yeah, is that the best way to go about the, the Van Dyke stuff? Just to draw a line under it, Dan, with the fact that you, you to all intents and purposes, plan for the season without him from here? What alternative is there? You know what I mean? Obviously, it's a hammer blow. In 35 years of watching Liverpool, I've not seen too many players have a more transformative effect than Virgil van Dyke. Um, some what well, ironic that this should happen against Everton because obviously he had a fairy tale start against the Toffees on his debut in the FA Cup nearly three years ago when he scored on his debut. But you know, this if this Liverpool team has not been built around one player, whether it's Mo Salah or Virgil Van Dijk or Jordan Henderson or Alison Becker, 
And Liverpool have to be realistic. You know, the, 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 there's no point belly aching or moaning about it or crying over spilt milk. However aggrieved, rightly or wrongly, Liverpool might feel by what went down at Goodison on Saturday, it's gone. And, the, and there's no point in harking back to it. Liverpool have some very, very good players in the squad and you know, may well look to bolster the defensive options in January because obviously they, they took a little bit of a gamble in not replacing Lovren in the summer. And obviously you could argue that's slightly come back to bite them. But... You know, it was always felt one of the reasons why they wanted to bring Thiago in was that it would give possibly free up for being able to cover at the back more. And I think, um, I'm sure I read before that the four games that Fabinho's played centre-back for Liverpool so far, they haven't actually conceded a goal yet. Now, you know, that's, that's probably not going to last forever. But I think his performance, you know, his performance is in that position so far. And particularly at Ajax on Wednesday night when I thought he was terrific. Shows that um, you know, Liverpool have still got a lot to look forward to, a lot to be... Um, Bullying about and positive about, you know. Have I made the point to somebody early in the week that you know Liverpool made a mockery of that league last year, won it by eighteen points, and realistically, it probably couldn't should have been more if they hadn't won it so early with seven games to spare and eased off. So, in some ways, maybe this just evens it up a bit. I still don't think anybody's better than Liverpool. It's maybe now more of a level playing field, but Liverpool needs to just remember how good we are, how much we prove to ourselves on and off the pitch that this is a side that can handle knockbacks and. Just crack on. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it, Doyle? Because I know he was obviously angry when he did the press conference on Tuesday. Jurgen Klopp took exception, I think, to quite an early question. Sort of one of those where it was what Jeannie Vijnaldum had said was put back at him. He, he doesn't seem to sort of like those questions that are put to him. But he sort of mentioned within, within that at the time that it was almost three weeks ago when City lost to Leicester. I thought we'd won the league. And now you're all saying that we've got no chance whatsoever. The truth lies somewhere between them. As Dan said, Liverpool still are reigning champions, probably on paper, still the best team in the Premier League, albeit it is going to be harder than perhaps it would have been before. I mean, that, that's to some extent, that's the media being reactive. And I know we're kind of guilty of that a little bit, although I like to think that we're a bit more considered about how we <clears throat> respond to certain results. But, you know, we've done the results thing before, haven't we? You know, Liverpool lost 7-2 at Aston Villa. United lost 6-1 at home to Tottenham. Tottenham lost at home to Everton. Are any of those out of the running for the title? Of course they're not. I would imagine, with the possible exception of Fulham, who are absolutely awful, by the way, that everybody else has still probably got a chance because they've only played four or five games. It's absolutely ages to go. There's nothing to suggest that Liverpool are going to be anything other than in the top two, top three. They'll be challenging for the title. Obviously, losing Van Dijk is a massive blow because he is you know, he's the best defender in the world in the same way that Alisson Becker is the best, arguably, the best goalkeeper in the world. And Liverpool, without both of those, Ajax still got a clean sheet. So... You can't complain too much with that. I just think it is going to be a season that's going to take a long time to settle because teams are going to be affected by the running games, the, the spread of you know coronaviruses. Liverpool have been affected by that, haven't they? They've had about four. Certainly, we know three players who, who, who've tested positive. Well, at least we think it's three. Um, the, the, there may well be more because they're not duty-bound to come. It's up to the individual. Liverpool have that policy where they say it's up to the individual whether they want to let people know, make it public. So this is going to happen, not just to Liverpool, it's going to happen to all of the clubs. So there is going to be that kind of sense of, yeah, it's going to be a lot less settled than it was last season. As Dan said, Liverpool were, were amazing last year. They're not going to win the league. No one's going to win the league by 18 points this year. And I've said it many a time on a start of the season. Someone will lose six or seven games and they'll win it. Liverpool just have to make sure that they're still in and around. Oh, we've lost Dan. In and around and... Um, just have to make sure that they're still there. Losing Van Dijk is is a massive blow, but as as shown with Fabinho, as Dan said, they brought Thiago in to possibly 
freeing Fabinho to play centre-back. This is what's happened, and Fabinho has shown that he can do a job. That What's interesting for me, what, what is interesting from what happened on Wednesday, is that Fabinho seems as though he was the senior centre-back. It was as though Joe Gomez... Hi, Dan. It was as Hi. though Joe Gomez was feeding off him rather than the other way around. And I think we have seen that a little bit before, whether or not Gomez feels as though he quite has the same level of experience. I don't know, but I think, as I said on Monday, it will be interesting for him because you'd like to think that with teams no longer just targeting him and targeting both centre-backs with Van Dijk gone, it might make life a little bit easier for him in that sense. And it may allow him to build up the leadership qualities that perhaps he hasn't had already, not because he can't have them, but because he hasn't had to. Yeah, no, certainly on that point that Doyle was making just before, Dan, about likelihood is is a team maybe could lose six or seven games in the Premier League and still win it this season. Obviously, Liverpool only dropped 15 points all of last season, already dropped five. I suppose that really, in terms of sort of averages of points dropped through the season already, is showing that that probably is going to prove to be the case. Yeah, and to be honest, I think it was always going to be the case, even with even before Van Dijk, even before the unusual nature of this season with everything being so compressed because of the pandemic and whatever. You know, what Liverpool and Manchester City achieved over the last couple of years is freakish. It, it, it's, it's never happened before. It may well never happen again. So that won't, I, I wouldn't imagine that's going to dilute Liverpool's uh, motivation or, or their kind of the drive that, that we've seen day after day. They're, they're, they're still going to go out and aim to win every game. But Liverpool were conditioned because of Manchester City's relentlessness over the last couple of years of knowing that every draw felt like a defeat. And I suppose it's it, it, it's a different type of mentality now. I think you know, every team tries to win every match they play. Of course they do. But I think when when the bad results happen, and obviously Liverpool have already had one or one and a half, if you want, yeah, you know, however you want to perceive the Everton results. To me, that was one of the most encouraging things about Saturday. Obviously, it was disappointing the way it panned out with not you know the, the disallowed goal and Van Dijk and the injuries and whatever. But by and large, it was a Liverpool put Liverpool turned up. Liverpool put in a performance on another day. They could quite easily have walked away from Goodison Park with three points and a, and a handsome victory. And that to me, but you know, I always think you, you, the worst time to have a bad result is before an international break because you've got two weeks to stew on it, and you know, and very little time to actually try and remedy what went wrong in training. You know, the players, they basically only had one training session last Friday, didn't they? But the performance that they put in, even if it didn't really get what it deserves at the end of the match, I think said to me that, yes, this Liverpool team, except that things are different now, but will have that resilience to bounce back from setbacks, whether it's a bad result or a bad injury or whatever, and keep going because... They, you know, they they are elite level in terms of in terms of ability and and mentality, and I think they've they've proved that again this week because not just on Saturday it, it was it was a it was a really good performance against Ajax on Wednesday against you know, a decent side who you know I, I think will will cause a fair few prob- other teams problems this season. Yeah, well, let's get into the team news then for Saturday's game. We know, of course, Virgil van Dijk's out, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Kostas Simikas also out, but question marks over the likes of Alison Becker, Joel Matip and Thiago Alcantara, which Jurgen Klopp was asked about in his pre-match press conference, and here's what he had to say. Look, in my situation, actually, I don't want to rule anybody out um, until somebody tells me. And so far, nobody told me. Uh, maybe I should have listened better, but um, I'm they for me everybody uh, apart from the three I mentioned is in contention until somebody tells me tells me different. 
Well, that seems to be quite encouraging, doesn't it, Doily? That we thought Alison Becker certainly was going to be out for a stretch of time, but Jurgen Klopp there saying that until someone tells him, he's going to maybe consider him for selection. I'm starting to think whether he's just forgotten to add him onto that list of players. He might not be. Uh, he might not be available, to be honest. Um, and he did, whether he did it on purpose or not is an accident. He has kind of let something slip there. I mean, we knew that Alison was back in some sort of. Uh, individual training whether that was the end of this this time last week or the start of this week but you know his injury was a it was a collision wasn't it on, a, on the training ground shoulder injury and it didn't need any surgery so that suggested it wasn't massively serious and the, the Liverpool never actually came out and said how long he was going to be out for they said we're not going to put any time scale on this it was reported at the time it was going to be six weeks and what's it been now three so I mean I'd be surprised if he did play because while Adrian has been a bit up and down when he's played just in the course of a game. I mean, look at the game on the uh, the game on Wednesday, which he started pretty terribly by trying to by tackling Joe Gomez, then hitting a clearance against somebody, ending it by not punching the ball properly and almost giving away an equalizer. But in between, he makes a great save and he's he did pretty well with dealing with with the threat that Ajax had in between. So that was kind of his his career in a nutshell, really. But having said that, Allison is such a good goalkeeper that. Is it worth the risk though? Because Liverpool having so many games coming up, I would be I would be surprised if he played. Although having said that, it's uh, you know we're going to mention Rian Brewster at some point. Uh, Liverpool coming up against him, he'll have a point to prove. It'll be interesting on on Saturday. But in terms of Allison, I'd be surprised if he played with the others. We'll only really know on the day of the game, to be honest, because I think they're doing a training session on uh, Friday afternoon, well, just now actually. So. Jurgen Klopp said, obviously, then that anybody who's in training will be considered. Anybody who's not won't be. So he'll know then, and we'll know then. He's, he's he said in the past, hasn't he? He said it again today that at the moment he's very much in in thrall with what the medical staff are telling him, which uh, to some of us old timers is a little bit like a throwback to Roy Hodgson and Peter Bruckner, if you remember that, Dan. Yeah, where uh, it seems though, yeah, yeah, he seems as though he was running the team at one moment, um, <laughs> but. I think there's there's a there's a better uh, relationship between the medical staff and, and Jurgen Klopp and his coaching team. He, he, you saw that on the on Wednesday when he said afterwards Jordan Henderson could play 45 minutes, so he decided that he could play the second 45 minutes. So I think we'll just go go with that. I mean, for all of Liverpool's injury problems, they've still got quite a bit of strength in depth in certain areas. So I don't see any reason to risk anybody if they're not 100. percent Is that the thing that we got to be wary of as well, Dan? Is with Obviously, it being Van Dijk who's injured and Allison the last couple of seasons now having picked up these niggly injuries at, at times when Liverpool could really do without, that we almost don't become paranoid and sort of think too much into the fitness all the time of the defenders and who's available and, and who isn't. And, and effectively, just trust those who obviously are within the building if they are needed to deputise. That's exactly what they're there for. It, well, 100% right. And I think this season more than ever... That is going to be the case because, again, because of the compressed nature of the season, with all these games wedged back to back, I think we, you know, we're going to be reliant on the squad more than ever. Um, certainly in this period between now and Christmas, when you know, lit, apart from the international break in November, it's literally League Europe, League Europe every week, isn't it? And then, and, until the end of the year, and I would imagine that part of you know the the men, you know the the mindset and then the planning the manager and and his his backroom team will operate on is is that they don't want to they don't want to wait until people get injured before they have to put the other lot in and it, it's a, it's a very very fine balance about how do you judge when someone's getting near to the you know the red you know what do they call it the the, the red zone 
when you know they're going to be more susceptible to pulling muscles. I mean, obviously they've got incredible data and science and sports science behind it now, whether where they can monitor this type of thing. But however clued up they are, it's never an exact science, is there? You know, we've all seen numerous examples where two players can go 300 miles an hour into each other and both walk away without a scratch. And then someone can jump for a header, completely innocuous, and can do his ankle ligaments. That's that's the nature of football. Do you know what I mean? The injuries, unfortunately, are part and parcel of the game. And because the likes of Alisson, the likes of Van Dijk, have been such huge figures, because maybe I think for a long time Liverpool supporters were a little bit scarred because of maybe some of the goalkeepers and defenders they had who weren't really up to scratch. And obviously since these two lads have come in, and you know, as good as they are, and they, they've helped drive Liverpool to the top of the game. I think probably we have put them up on a pedestal a little bit. The reality is, you know, Ad- Adrian is probably as good a second choice goalkeeper as you're going to get, and as probably for many teams, probably as good a first choice goalkeeper goal- as you get as you can get. You can't clone Allison, you can't clone Van Dijk. So we have to put our trust in these players and our trust in the manager and his staff to make the right decisions to hopefully keep them at the optimal level of fitness to be able to cope with the, the the demands upon them. I don't want to jinx things. And if if I do here, then obviously I'm the man to, to blame when it comes to Monday's podcast, Doily. But Sheffield United do only have two goals so far this season. I was going to say, if there if there is a game in which to bring Alisson back, would this be it? Because they do have a threat from set pieces. They will probably try and target Liverpool's defensive area and put the ball, as it were, into the mixer. So is it therefore, Alisson, that you sort of do try and get back for this game or do, as as Dan was sort of saying, you trust in Adrian and in fact, it's the selection dilemma which you've got more in front of the goalkeeper, as it were, as to who plays at centre-half? Well, that's the interesting thing for me just generally with Liverpool is that Van Dijk was clearly the one Liverpool defender who could head it and as much as he's great at passing this, that and the other and tackling and reading the game, his ability to head it is the one thing that's made the biggest difference. Don't think Matic might be tall, but he's got a little bit of a 50p head, I'm afraid. Um, Paul <laughs> Joe Gomez. Yeah, Joe Gomez. He's, heading isn't his strong point. Fabinho is fairly decent, to be fair. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Klopp's been you know, quite happy for him to, to drop back into central defence. So I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting when Matic comes back if it is this weekend, but how many games Klopp decides to play actually Matip with Gomez because it may be Fabinho and one of the other ones. I mean, we, we obviously don't know and there will be obviously be some games, I'd imagine, where Fabinho has to move into midfield or is rested because, as Dan said, there's so many games coming up. But in terms of that, so you've lost Van Dijk and Alisson is quite strong in terms of coming off his line and, and you know, commanding his area, as it were, although he hasn't had to do that that much with Van Dijk being there. And this is one of the points I was trying to make, is that whether it's Alisson or it's Adrian, maybe the goalkeepers are going to have to be told, look, for the next foreseeable future, you're going to have to start coming off your line a little bit and clearing the ball out because you can punch it. And obviously, we can't. And it's it's better to have that kind of decisiveness. It, it goes back to the days of Bruce Grobler. Daniel remembers that yeah. he would just... I think he basically got told, just come for everything. And... If you don't get it sometimes, you know, we'll try and clear it off the line. And sometimes that would end up with conceding a goal because he's made a mistake. But the amount of chances that he then avoided just by being decisive and coming out and getting it and getting a hand on it or whatever have you, then that, that paid off in the end. But as you can see from Liverpool winning that many trophies when he was playing. So I do wonder whether or not the goalkeepers will be asked to do something different. But in that in sense, going back to the Sheffield United game, yeah, they do have a lot of threat at set pieces. They haven't scored many goals this season, as you said, but you know, Rian Brewster's this 
normally he would be the kind of X factor, but obviously Liverpool know all about him. So it'll be interesting to see how Sheffield United. I can't imagine Brewster won't start. I'll be honest. Can't imagine why. Why wouldn't you? He'd be absolutely desperate, not to prove a point against his former team, but just to show, like, yeah, this is why I'm worth twenty-three million pounds or whatever it was that that Sheffield United paid for him, and he'll, he'll want to make a good start and actually, you know, playing at Anfield is still unusual for him because he didn't make that many appearances for Liverpool. But uh, as I said before about the goalkeeping situation, purely on the basis of the fact that so many games coming up, and the fact that Sheffield United may decide to. At set pieces, at least, because they're not a long ball team by any by any imagination. They are they do have a lot of height. Something that set pieces at corners, they are dangerous. So, do you want to risk Allison getting an injury again just just by pushing him in about three or four days earlier than he should have been? I'm not sure. No, we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out then. Down in front of the goalkeeper then, what's the thinking for you? A bit like Doyle, is it maybe even after just a, a few cameos there, Fabinho and one other? Or is it a case of needing to wrap Joel Matip up in cotton wool between games and try and get him out as often as possible? He hasn't got a good record, whether it be putting back-to-back games together or even at the moment, I think it's over a year now, of getting through 90 minutes. Yeah, I, I think realistically, you're not going to see Massett playing too many games back to back. There is a danger, though, if you put too much, you know, if you put, if you insist it's going to be Fabinho plus one every other game, are you putting too much? Is he going to be able to play, you know, twelve games in six weeks or, or whatever it is? It's you know, Klopp is going to, you know, obviously there's there's the, the, the fullback situation as well. You know, Liverpool's the, the way Liverpool's fullbacks. Attack is obviously a fundamental aspect of the way the team plays, but a lot, a lot of that was based on um, having Van Dijk there. You know, with, with the, you know with his ability to screen the back four and, and giving them that extra bit of cover. So, do they now need to drop a little bit deeper? And if they do, does that mean, particularly again with the games being so compressed, that you can start to mix them up a bit? So, does Nico William get the odd game here and there? Do you throw Milner in at left back just to get him on the pitch on occasion to give? the likes of Andy Roberts, who played virtually every game last season and did look kind of like he was blowing for tugs a little bit towards the end. Um, bearing in mind Massive didn't play in midweek, I would be inclined to throw him back in at the weekends without disrespecting them. It is Michelin at home on Tuesday, isn't it? Right and saying? Yeah, which which you, know, you would have to think is going to be the kind of like the deadest rubber of the group. And if Klopp does want to kind of rotate a little bit and get, and get a bit of rest in legs, he could conceivably look to do it then. But bearing in mind Liverpool have now gone shock horror, two league games without a win, which, you know, in the modern era is, you know, crisis territory, really. <laughs> I think um, it'll be looking to get, it'll be looking, I, I think Sheffield United got one point from, four, from five games, is that right? Uh, yeah, I they, think so, yeah. Yeah, they're sitting, yeah, yeah, second bottom of the table, yeah, with, with one point from five games. They've had a lousy start to the season, but, you know, they did very well last season, they got some good players and, you know, as we know, these runs can, end as quick as they started, so Liverpool can't take them for granted. But I, I would I'd be inclined to bring Ma- Massett back in, maybe <clears> even give Fabinho a bit of a rest. And, and I think what Doyle said before, Van Dijk's absence does give Joe Gomez the chance to in the same way I think, you know, going back a few years, we always felt that Jordan Henderson maybe wasn't quite the same player when Steven Gerrard was around. In Gerrard's, ab- in Gerrard's absence, Henderson stepped up. And you know, felt he had to assume that extra responsibility and did so. And the same may well apply to Gomez. So while he's had a bit of a checkered injury past as well, I think more of Go- Gomez's injuries by and large have been more contact injuries, haven't they, rather than muscular. 
So while at the same time we can't flog him into the ground either, I think I'd probably go go Mesomatic tomorrow. Is there also, though, flip it on its head and rather than talk about the defensive side of the, the game, Doyle, even more onus maybe on the attacking players to get the goals and even if the, I suppose, defensive shape within games, maybe they don't play quite so high and almost, in a way, draw opposition onto them, it will maybe get back to that sort of classic Liverpool counter-attacking goal of Salah running in behind. Because it, it, it seems to have been a long time since, really, you've seen Mane and Salah really have that chance to get really in behind an opposition as opposed to them sitting so deep that Liverpool then have to go about breaking them down in another way. I suppose so, but I don't think Sheffield United is going to be a game where that will be happening. I think they'll just be coming to sit deep. They're not one going to leave any gaps behind them. Uh, and it will be interesting to see. We'll get to the team you know, selection a bit later on. But who does play up front? Because you know, Klopp made that big call of replacing all three of them on 59 minutes on Wednesday, which... While it's not unusual to see, I think it's, I think I worked it out, was, there's only been four times in the last 18 months that the three of them have started and finished the same game, which is a bit of a surprise because, it, 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 you know, in some ways it makes sense because Liverpool have won most of those games and one of them will get substituted towards the end to save their legs for the next game. So in that sense, that, that's been quite good. But it's only been, I think it was four or five times in the past where they've all gone off in the same game and never before at the same time. But the fact is, the three who came on, certainly uh, Diogo Jota and uh, Takimi Minamino, those two have been, I, th- I think, have been very unlucky not to have started more games this season. I think with so many games coming up, certainly with the three at home, I think they'll all start, the, both of those will start at least one, if not more. And it gives Liverpool a chance to, to give the front three a breather. And on top of that, it also gives the opposition something different because they won't have come up against the Liverpool team with Minamino and Jota because everybody knows they've got all these plans for Salah, Firmino and Mane. And while, as we can see from the results, hardly anybody's been able to cope with it, it does give people a bit of a head start in terms of how they want to deal with Liverpool's front three. But if they've got three others, I mean, Jota in particular, I think has been very good since he's since he's come in. He's, he surprised me. He's certainly been a slightly different player to the one I saw at Wolves, but then that's partly because of the way Wolves play. And it's, a, it's again, a case of so far that... You sign players who you know are going to fit into your system and play the way that you want to play. And just because they haven't done that somewhere else doesn't mean they can't do it for your team. So Liverpool, you know, they said they've been tracking him for two or three years. They must have seen something in his game, just his overall, you know, the way that he approaches the game that, that's going to fit in with them. And what was interesting for me, and we've mentioned this before, but when he signed, there was talk like, oh, he can play across the front three. And with Minamino, he, he can play across the front three. When Klopp was asked, I think it was after the the, the Lincoln game, I think it was, earlier this this season. And he basically got asked, what do you think? Where are these going to play? And he said, Jota's on the left and Minamino's down the centre. As if to say, right, they are the replacements for, not replacements, you know, but they can rotate for Mane and can rotate for Firmino. And that's what happened on, on Wednesday. And I'd imagine we might see that from the start, whether that's on, on Saturday against Sheffield United or a game coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go bold when we do our team selections. You've talked me into it there of how I'll, I'll set the Reds out, but we'll we'll wait until we we get to that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Before we talk any more about the, the Reds, let's talk about a former Red and a man who could well make his full Premier League debut at Anfield. Maybe this time last year we would have thought it would have been for Liverpool. It looks doily as though it may well be against Liverpool at Anfield. Of course, we are talking about Rian Brewster. You alluded to it before. Chris Wilder said that he is pushing for a start. And as you said before, you'd be amazed if he didn't, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I'd be amazed if he didn't. There's no reason to not to not play him. I think Sheffield United, as we've, we've pointed out, struggling for goals. And I think it, while they did well last season, they've done terribly since we came back from lockdown in June. They finished the season really poorly, fell out of reckoning for Europe. They were about to do a... But they're reckoning for the Europa League place. In fact, top five, wasn't it? So they were, I wouldn't say they were pushing for top four, but they were, yeah, yeah, they were, they were kind of in and around, but then they just fell away massively. And this season they've started poorly. And you know, Chris Wilder did an interview, didn't he, yesterday, where he says, look, we've got, I think it's uh, Fleck, John Fleck, um, John O'Connell and... Um, Jack Musa, O'Connell, at least yeah. Yeah, yeah, he said that basically they're all injured and it's just as bad as for me. He, it's him speaking, not me. For him, for me, losing Van Dyke because you know he's an important player for Liverpool, and these three players are important for for our team. So because of all of that, there's no sense in not starting Brewster. Because another thing is, he'll know the pitch. It won't be intimidated. I know there's nobody there, but you know some some players do get intimidated playing in bigger arenas, especially if there's you know preferably if there was people there. But it still can affect people. But you, you'll have no fear. And he'll be keen to make up for lost time because he'll think that since he came back from the the loan deal, uh, loan spell, sorry, at Swansea, that he's been absolutely burst into play. He got 11 in 22 there. He'll be, he'll be desperate to get out there and play. And of course, the last action he had was, for Liverpool, was missing that penalty in the in the community shield. So it wasn't the best way for him to go out. But I don't, you know, Klopp said it, didn't he? In his press conference today, he said, he's our boy. Then he had to stop himself and went, well, actually, no, he's not. He's not our boy. But we'll, we'll always think of him as being like that because... That's the kind of relationship he has with with his players. You look at the players he's had at Mainz, the players he had at Dortmund, and he's just still in contact with the likes of Goethe and Royce and people like that, and probably all of them, to be honest. And he'll be like that with with these Liverpool players who've played, whether they've played hardly any games like Brewster, or they've played hundreds of games like uh, Jordan Henderson. Yeah, as Doyle was saying there, I've dug it out, actually. The league table, when the football was suspended, Sheffield United was seventh on 43 points. They were only five points off fourth place Chelsea, and they did have a game in hand. So, uh, yeah, they, they haven't done well since sort of lockdown. They did finish ninth in the end last season, but only scored 39 goals in their 38 games, Dan. It's clear to see why they were so sort of willing to, to pay the money that they did for Rian Brewster. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I do, one of the games I do remember watching in the early part of lockdown was when they beat Chelsea 3-0 at Bramall Lane, <clears throat> which was kind of pitched as kind of like, you know, a big game in, 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 the, in the race for top four. And when, you know, when they beat them and beat them so convincingly, I remember kind of thinking, well, good on them. You know what I mean? They've, they've got as good a chance as anyone of, of getting in. It may well be that was pretty much one of the only games they won in, in lockdown and obviously since then because they haven't had a win yet this season. It seems like they're suffering from that, you know, the chronic second season, second album syndrome, which maybe has kicked a little bit early for them um, at the end of last season. But they were one of the kind of the, the more appealing stories of last season. You know, the um, I think when they got promoted, I think mo- most people expect them to be struggling down the bottom of the table. But um, the way they went about the business, Chris Wilder is, is a local lad, a, a Blades fan, just seems very, very down to earth and no airs and graces to him. And I do remember, not just because he said nice things about us, when they came, they came to Anfield on the 2nd of January, I think, didn't they? Which mm. I didn't, I, I didn't go, I was covering the game from the office that night. But I do remember him being very, you know, speaking very, very, not just respectfully, but very realistically about, about you know, because by this point, Liverpool were 20 gazillion points clear at the top of the league or whatever, but yeah, obviously still didn't have it in the bag. And I, I, th- I think they, I think they got a lot of goodwill from a fair from, from a lot of neutrals last season, Sheffield United. But you know, 
football is is an um, is a cruel, unforgiving game. You're only as good as your last match, and they're they're obviously finding it really really difficult to get themselves started this season. I do think Bruce is going to be good for them. You know, it, it, Klopp always made it very clear what a, a very very high regard he had for him. You know, the last couple of pre seasons he was talking him up big time, and I think we all hoped and expected to see a bit more of him in the first team. You know, the, the fact that even though Liverpool have let him go, the deal that he's gone away with it, it i think i remember somebody using the uh, using the using the expression it's almost like an enhanced loan deal and that essentially liverpool can call them back at any point if they want for a set fee over the next couple of years uh, so i think that shows that they haven't quite written them off and, and still expect him to have a good future in the game and uh, you know i think most liverpool fans will will wish him well in doing that but after tomorrow night yeah, I think Jurgen Klopp said, didn't he, that he hopes that over the course of a 38-game season, if he played all of them, he'd have 36 good ones and two days off and was hoping that obviously they would be the two against Liverpool. Before we get to our team selections then, this was going to be the weekend that Liverpool were hoping to welcome fans back to Anfield. Obviously, the situation we're in, that isn't the case. Stoyle, you're going to be at Anfield tomorrow for the game, but Reds fans are going to have to make do with pay-per-view. I suppose it will be one of those occasions where it probably doesn't get any easier going to Anfield and not seeing fans and getting used to that. But I suppose it'll be more poignant tomorrow when the sides come out and there is no crowd there. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's probably the last game. When was the last Liverpool game at home? I can't even it remember. Was, uh, in the last... league, it was against oh. Arsenal. Nearly f- It was four weeks ago on Monday. Is that really was? Yeah. yeah. I think it's... It, wow. Um, and I think when it was that game or the Arsenal game in the League Cup, which they won very luckily... Um, as you'll know, guy. Yeah, um, yeah. there was there were signs. There were signs outside the ground, on like the the, the columns and the and the bollards saying "Welcome back, we've missed you" because they'd already put in the preparations in for fans being back for this game, Sheffield United game. And I know they'd done a few, you know, rehearsals in terms of setting up. You know, I think there was going to be two kind of like welcoming areas behind uh, the two stands behind the goals and fans be filtered in all this kind of stuff and they were got there's possibly some suggestion that they were going to use um ticketless games just to get just to get people into the stadiums obviously it wouldn't be 50 or 1000 it'd be more like 10 or 11 but that's still 10 or 11000 more than nobody which i can tell you would make an absolutely massive difference because from a personal point of view i'm not exactly looking forward to watching these games in a freezing cold Staying with nobody there. It's one thing watching them during the summer and, and you know the autumn months, but it's not been particularly cold, if we're being honest. But as anyone who's been up in the main stand where we're at the moment, it gets a bit cold. So it's it just doesn't that's the that's where it'll be a struggle. When the weather's poor, where it's cold, when it gets really windy at Anfield as well as anybody, you know, the enemy of football. But all of this makes a difference when the fans are there. But I know you're going to ask me about the, the pay-per-view and the whole thing about 1495. And my view is this, is that I can understand why the, they can't give away the games forever because it detracts, it'll it'll devalue the TV deal they have in place and then Sky and BT will be like, well, hang on, why are we paying for this when you you know all of the games are going to be on television? Why are we paying this much money for it? Which I can get that to a point because in the end, but they must know it's not going to go on forever. Be amazing if it's like this this time next year, for example. I'd imagine by the start of next season they'll have found a way. Whether in fact, I actually think fans will be back in sooner than people think, probably in very small numbers. Because you looked around on the Champions League this this week and last night Arsenal played front of fans. Where was it? Austria, yeah, against against. Uh, <coughs> Loads at Ren on Wednesday. Yeah, and and I think it was was Leipzig had fans as well, didn't they? Because I remember watching the highlights of their game and they celebrate in front of their fans. So they That's are coming in. Quite a yeah, 
Yeah, so there are games where it's happening, and it, so it will happen at some point, and it'll be as I say, it'll happen sooner rather than later. But pay per view, fourteen pounds ninety five. I can see why people are actively seeking to boycott it because it's all it is about price point. If somebody had said, I don't know, if somebody said Fiverr, I would imagine everybody had gone, yeah. If somebody said, nah, it's funny, is it nine ninety five, and we'll give half of it to the lower league clubs, everybody yeah. would have gone, yeah, all right. Even if it, I just think it's. Going into those four figures, fourteen ninety-five for a game of football where all the other bits and bobs that you like about football, going to the game, being around your mates, um, you know, sampling the atmosphere, actually getting up there, being around the ground, you know, even afterwards then joining in all the discussion. As from anybody anybody who's covered these games, the two weirdest parts of it when there's no one in there is the start because it's dead quiet, and then the final whistle where it's just completely quiet. There's none of that kind of anticipation. The teams walk out to no no noise whatsoever, and then they'll they'll stand stand around and then they'll do the little line. And then the awful Premier League anthem will come on. Why they've changed it, I don't know. It's absolutely horrific. And then when the game finishes, there'll be a little like referee will whistle. There might be one or two claps from people. Everyone just gets off. It's like so weird. It's like there's not that none of that kind of buzz or anything. It's almost as if nothing happened. And it's I don't want to mention rugby league again. I know that you you're not particularly interested, but in St. Helens, where I live, a couple of weeks ago, they had the Cup semi-finals, but at uh, the ground for St. Helens, and it was in, behind closed doors, and there's a huge Tesco next to it. And I was in shopping in Tesco and walked out and just saw the floodlights on and forgot, like, oh, they had to play in massive semi-final games there in front of nobody. It's like no one had any idea of what of it was even happening. And I think people have got used to that because it's been, what, seven months now? It's come up to, you know, more than seven months since fans have been let in. And my worry is that, Maybe the people are getting a little bit too used to it. There will be people who won't want to go back and watch after all of this. And in some sense, you can't blame them because possibly they've had a they've had a you know they've they've had a look at how much they're spending on the football. But going back to the fourteen ninety five, if it was cheaper, I think there'd be less complaint about it. And if there was a contribution to the overall picture, the bigger picture for you know use a buzz phrase of football, then I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. But for what you get as well, I mean, I believe that there's no commentary, and sometimes no, I believe no, I believe there's commentary. I believe there's commentary, but not presentation around. I think oh, Sky right. and BT just... are taking different different views. I think BT still is sort of all single dancing, but from my understanding, I haven't paid to watch any of them on pay per view. But that Sky effectively just have the commentator with pictures, and then they pick up just before the game, and then yeah. I don't know. I know Dan feels very strong on this. I just want to make a point before he 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 says his point is that I think it kind of and I hate doing this it kind of split between the people who go the games and the people who don't go the games and the people who go the games and I don't just mean the season ticket holders I mean even if you go to one game a season or one game every couple of seasons if you've had that experience you'll know that paying fourteen ninety five to watch it on television is like for one game if it was fourteen ninety five for about four fourteen forty ninety five for one game is like I'm not paying that. And I'm telling you now, you know, if if I was if I wasn't going to this game and I didn't have to cover it, I wouldn't be paying fourteen ninety five for it. No chance. 
No, it is amazing, isn't it, Dan? And even like when Doyley's saying that, so they're all on the box office and I get that they're between Sky and BT, but we're told the money is going to the clubs. It's not a case of the broadcasters are keeping it. It was a, a price point effectively put to the club saying, right, it's it's fourteen ninety five or it's nothing. You're not getting sort of the, the, the money in the games on TV. And so that was why, obviously, the, the vote ended up going 19 to 1. Leicester City, the only club to vote against this. But it is still so difficult to sort of get around. You would It would have been great if there had been some sort of idea that they could have put together. I don't know. You pay £20, as Doily saying, you get the next four Liverpool matches that are going to be on TV because it's going to be the for the foreseeable that they then get downloaded onto your box directly. I don't know how that would work. It's not my job, but it mm. really is a difficult one to stomach. It is, and it's a massively short-sighted decision, I think, by the clubs who were involved in making in making this. You know, at a time when people are scared, worried, fed up, need football more than ever to give a distraction from you know the very distressing and uncertain times that we're living in. And unfortunately, the way that the way that this has played out, you know, it, it it leaves the clubs open to accusations of of just utter shameless greed. And, and, and I don't see how it can be justified in any other way. You know, to be honest, Do- Doily made a lot of the points that, that, that I would have made. I think he hit a lot of the nails squarely on the head, particularly the fact that, you know, it, it's not just about expecting something for nothing. You know, we, it, it was good what they did in, in after Project Restart and the start of the season, having every game on the usual channels. I think it's important to say not free because the vast majority of them weren't free. You already needed to have a Sky Sports or BT or Amazon subscription anyway. There was only a, an absolute handful on free-to-wear BBC. But the fact that you know, we're already being deprived of the chance to go to these games, to then be stung for an extra £15 is, is obscene, really, at a time when people are worried for their jobs, worried for their futures, worried about how they're going to pay their mortgages. They've missed a bit, a, a, a big opportunity. I, I think one of the things they could and should have done. I mean, it's all you know. Some of the some of the games people will wouldn't think twice about paying fourteen ninety five for. But I think some of the ones that have already been on West Brom against Burnley, without disrespecting clubs like that, you know, I, I'd imagine some even the some of their diehards would have would have balked at paying that. The Premier League have said, haven't they, that they're not going to release figures for them, which I think is quite telling. Uh, I think I think that that shows that they know that. There's something not quite right about what they've done, but they've kind of got themselves into this corner now and they're probably too proud to back down. Something like what Doyle suggested, whether it was seven or eight quid with, with a few going to, with a few Bob going to the football league clubs could have been an option. Another one could have been like a kind of a Netflix type scenario where you maybe pay a five or a ten or a, a month or a weekend and you get all the extra games as well. But it's just to slap the forty ninety five price point on just feels like another kick in the teeth at a time when it feels like we you know, the ordinary people of this country are getting them left, right, and centre. I think it's important to make mention though as well that a lot of you know Saturday's Liverpool's first experience of a pay per view in this current scenario, but there's already been you know four or five already since you know since from the previous match day, and fan groups of virtually I think virtually every single Premier League club have voiced their support for a boycott and a lot of them have already raised tens of thousands of pounds for food banks by donating the 1495 to food banks or other worthy causes and that's certainly what i'll be doing tomorrow but they will not be getting my 1495 
to watch Liverpool, which which is dis- which is disappointing to me because I'm missing the games as it is already, and to not even be able to watch it on on the box kind of twists the knife a little bit more. But it's a point of principle. At the end of the day, fans have to make their voices heard. Liverpool fans have done it before, four and a half years ago when we walked out of the ground against Sunderland, fifteen and a half thousand of us or whatever it was, and within twenty four hours, the club backed down on the seventy seven pound price increase. Price increases, and by the end of the week, literally before the end of the week, with talk of from fans groups around the country of similar type of protests, the Premier League announced that from the following season, away match tickets were going to be capped at thirty pound, which which was extended earlier last year for another three years. So for all people saying, "Oh, what you're moaning for, you'll never change anything," well, you can change things by standing up and speaking for what's right. We know about that in this city more than most. So listen, it's a free country. If any Liverpool fans want to go out there and pay it, that's up to you. But I won't be doing it. And I think there's going to be many, many Liverpool fans that believe some things are more important. Yeah, no. Question. I wonder whether or not it's it's the Premier League kind of covering their own back in a sense where the reason they're not releasing the numbers is because they know they're going to be really small. They know that fans aren't going to pay. They're just kind of protecting their own, the current TV deal, I think, to a certain degree. And if they make any kind of money off this, any major money off this, I'd be surprised because it's not going to be the big games that are on anyway. And all the the ancillary stuff that they'd get from people, you know, turning up for the games, let alone paying for the ticket itself, but also buying at the club shop, whatever have you, they're missing out on all of that. So I don't necessarily think that the clubs are expecting to make any kind of money off this. But it is about overall protecting the the actual income that they're going to get from the, the TV deal overall. So if... Well, guy, what guy said? If, what guy said? If if they've been come up to them and said, right, fourteen ninety five, you got to vote on this. I'm not surprised they all just said yeah. But I don't think they they necessarily then realise what the backlash would be. And 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 this is going to say, I was going to say, I'm going to say, I almost think there are probably some people in all of the clubs who's looking at the fans and going, you know what, fair play, don't blame you. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right there. And also, EFL clubs, though, with with the structure of what they've had throughout the whole pandemic, have been paying £10 per game to watch their matches. So I think as well, maybe there was a bit of a, a thinking from the Premier League. Well, it's Premier League football. We'll price what's it more the, than that. What's the deal? Do they get... Do they get... Because I saw Tramia tweet something. They Tramia just basically put out the, the precise numbers of how many people pay for their stuff. I mean, is it... Do they get everything after 500 or is it everything after 1,000 or everything after a half? I don't understand. There is some uh, kind yeah, of... Yeah, there's... And yeah, also, threshold. yeah. And it's a case of the money, I think, goes to the home team until it gets over, I think. Uh, if you're an away team, for example, I think you have to have maybe 1,000 people or 500 yeah, people buy it. Yeah. I think it's 500 away fans buy it and then it would go to the the away team. Otherwise, it gets split, I think, between the league and the, the, the home team or something like that. I don't I don't know the, the intricacies of it. But anyway, let's move on from the pay-per-view. Let's get back to the game itself and let's get into our, our team selections. And uh, this might take a bit of time. So uh, we are running sort of a bit longer than we usually do. But anyway, let's get into our team selections. I think we're all going with Adrian in goal, are we? Hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, we have to. Even if Alisson's fit, I wouldn't be blaming him. That- I think it has to. You, you can't take the risk. <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to throw Adrian under the bus, but we need Alisson in this, particularly with Van Dijk missing. We can't afford for Alisson to be missing too many more games this season because he's so important to the mentality and the tone of the team, I think. So, yeah, give him another, a little bit of extra rest and then hopefully if he's back in for... I'd, pr- I'd probably leave until next weekend uh, uh, against West Ham, which you know, West Ham are in decent form, aren't they? So that will not be the the gimme that maybe some people might expect. 
You could probably put him on the bench just in case Adrian has a complete meltdown. Yeah, and then that would do him a world of good bringing him off midway yeah. through the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you need yeah, to count on him again. Anyway, uh, Dan, I'll, I'll stick with you for the defence. Who's uh, who's in the back four? Or are you, are you going to change things up and go with the back three? No, no. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point of, over the season we do see a back three, bearing in mind the, you know, the paucity of Liverpool's options at centre-back. But I don't think we're there yet. So Trent and Robbo at the full-back positions... And uh, I'm going to stick with my idea of giving Fabinho a, certainly a rest in the defensive role and having Matip and Gomez as the centre-backs. Doily? I'm going to say the same back four as Ajax. No change. Yeah, I have to agree with that, to be honest. I think that might well be the case. Uh, Doily, come to you for the, the midfield. Midfield two or midfield three? Um, ooh, it depends on Thiago, you know. Um I'm going to assume he's not playing. Okay, I'm going to assume he's not playing. Now, Henderson has to start. Milner will definitely not play. Uh, and Juan Alden will play. So there's two. And if you've got Fabinho elsewhere, Oxley Chamberlain's injured. Uh, Cater's, don't know about Cater. Cater could be back. I'll tell you what then, right? Okay, I'll put, it'll be Henderson, Juan Alden, and either Cater or Thiago, whichever one of those can actually walk. Not Curtis Jones? <laughs> not Curtis Jones, no. No, I think he's. Um, Having said that, hmm. no, not Curtis Jones, no. Oh, well, Curtis Jones only plays if those two can't move. Right, so there okay. you go. So that's so, ultimately, going to say, well, this is the point. This is the point is that this team always picks itself from mm. the, you know, from the, in terms of defence and midfield, depending on who's available. And I'm just going with none of them. If none of them are available, then it has to be Henderson, Van Elder, and Curtis Jones. But I think if if either a of Cater or Thiago are fit, then they play instead of Jones. Dan, what are you saying? I don't think you can look past Henderson and Wijnaldum. Um, I mean, given that I haven't put him, I haven't put him in defence. I could throw Fabinho in into midfield, but I think Fabinho is going to play a hell of a lot of football for us this season, and I think um, it's important not to flog him too quickly. So I'll, I'll give him a rest, and um, if he's fit, I'd like to see Naby Keita given a go. I think he's a he's had a, you know. A, He's been a bit of a slow burner this season. He hasn't had a lot of headlines, but I think he's in, there's been a maturity and a, and a kind of a development to his performances. It's unfortunately he's having these little niggly injuries, but if he's fit, I would throw him in because, I mean, Thiago, we haven't really talked about, I haven't talked about him much since Saturday, what a, what a footballer he is. But again, in the same token that, that we don't want to take any injuries with, any unnecessary risks with injuries, it was a hell of a clobber he got from Richarlison. So I'd give him a little bit longer just to get himself back to optimal strength. So I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Cater for me. For me, I'm going to go midfield too. I think Thiago hopefully has got rid of that knock. It was a heavy, heavy uh, crunching challenge that he had to, he was on the receiving end of. But hopefully it was, it looked a lot worse than what it was. And I'm going to go with a, a two of Thiago and Henderson. That would be my uh, midfield two. Doily, come to you for your forward three. Are the three the three or are we tinkering? Well, every single week I've tinkered. I've, al- I've also changed this front three as well, but that's a bizarre uh-huh. point. Hey, um, yeah, the front three. Now, I think I've been saying Firmino every single week. And I, I think it's for his own good. I think I, I wrote something this week where I think from the start of last season, Salah and, Salah and Mane have missed or sat out whether they've been on the bench or injured. They've missed only four 
games in the Premier League and the, and the Champions League, not counting the FA Cup and League Cup, because obviously they, they missed most of those games. Firmino's played in all of them. And bear in mind that he's also been jetting off to Brazil to play in this, that and the other. I think, and I, okay, I know they had three months not playing, but I don't think any single footballer counts that as a rest because of, you know, the, the mental strain. I think it's fair to say that all of them were still involved in the game and they were still, if they may not have been running around on the pitch all the time, it was a different kind of stress for them. But And then, then it, even that's been made up by the fact that they played so many games for the end of last season, had a small break and started again. So Firmino's had played a lot of football over the last 18 months. I think it's kind of catching up with him a bit. So I'd have a bit of a change. Jota coming in on the left. I thought he's been very good, as I said before, whenever he's come in. I really like him. He's, he's been better than I thought he was going to be. Mane, switch him to down the middle. And Salah on the right. So basically it's the team, the front three, that ended the game against Everton on Saturday. Dan, what are you saying? I'm going to do a similar but slightly different. I, I, I agree. I adore Bobby Firmino as, as a gone on about on many occasions i still think he's got a big part to play for liverpool this season and possibly next as well but it's a long season he needs a rest and he just needs to kind of just reset and refocus himself a little bit so i'll take him out the firing line tomorrow and i agree joss has been a revelation i thought he was terrific when he came on on um wednesday night in holland um so I'm, i'm gonna have him on the left and i'm actually gonna put salah in the middle and have Mane on the right yeah, and I'm going to go. I'm going four-two-three-one. So I'm going to have Salah on the right, Minamino in the ten, cool. Jota on the left, and Mane the uh, the striker. So Bobby is going to miss out on my team as well. But with their back three, I think go on, go at them. Put plenty of uh, plenty of attacking players on the pitch, and let's see what happens. Let's get a quick score prediction before we go. Then Dan, come back to you for your score prediction. Um, two 0 Liverpool. Doily. Um, what did I say last week? 23 all. Um, I don't think it'll be that many this week. 18 all? No. Um, 3 1 Liverpool. We're not talking about rugby now. So you're going 3 1 no, Liverpool? No, 3 1. 3 1, yeah. I was going to go 2 0 or 3 1. I'll go 3 0 then. So uh, hopefully it's one of those. No, I'm not, I'm not going to go for the same. Got your own mind. Got no. your own mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going for the same scoreline. I could have gone 2 1, but no, I think. Uh, Although maybe there is going to be a one in there because Rian Brewster may well come back and uh, and and do his thing. But no, I'm going to stick with a clean sheet for Adrian. Uh, it's a 3-0 to Liverpool. That's it, though. If you aren't planning to get the box office and the pay-per-view, do make sure that you join us across on the Liverpool Echo. Ian will be at the game. The live blog will be up and running. We'll have all the reaction you could wish for as well from Jurgen Klopp's press conference and plenty more besides. Also have that here on the Blood Red channel as well as our post-game podcast But until next time, thanks for joining us here on the Blood Red Podcast. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.